little little sore, but we will make her through. My uh, I've had back problems for for many years, and uh, just flaring up, I guess. So, thank you for your prayers, and um, as we move into our new series, we're going to be talking about the colors of salvation, and I found this interesting. Um, I think the, I was looking at some material, and I, I saw this thing that was called uh, the wordless book, and when I saw that, I thought, well, that's interesting. What is that, a journal? And I looked, and and it was a book of colors, and there was no words in it. And um, so I, I looked at it, and I looked at the meanings of it, and I sort of got this idea of, a, of um, a series, because I was planning on speaking on salvation anyways. But I went and looked a little history of it, and I think it was Charles Spurgeon that first had this, and he had three colors, which I believe were uh, black, red, and white. And since then, there's been different variations through different times. Um, but we're going to go through these, and hopefully as we go through these, you will be able to see ways that you can express salvation to anybody very simply. Because sometimes we have these meetings or these teachings where we want to uh, sit down and, well, this is how you explain to somebody to get saved and we have a big long list of scriptures that uh, we want people to memorize and, and a lot of times we understand that when we're trying to share salvation with people um, they're not looking for a sermon and it usually just comes up through dialogue it comes up through just regular old conversations and so we're going to look at these these colors of salvation and I have sort of chosen the model that has six colors and today we're going to start with the very foundation, which is black. Black in the Bible represents sin. And sin is really uh, the very basis of where we need to start when we are looking at things. Yeah, it is sin that separates us from our relationship with God. That's why we need a Savior, is because of sin. Sin entered into the world. We go back and read in Genesis, and we saw that everything was good, and then all of a sudden... Uh, you know, Eve presented this apple, they ate the apple, sin entered into the world. Now we live in a, a broken world. And so when we look at mankind, we look at that, that, that we are all sinners and we are full of sin and our tendency is towards sin. And men for, for generations have, have tried, philosophers and theologians have tried to describe man. I remember Plato once time, one time, Describe man this way at a, one of his uh, seminaries or seminars that he was giving, and it said, Man is a featherless biped. That's how he described man, which is really uh, a featherless thing on two feet. Well, at one of his next seminars, one of his um, co workers brought a plucked chicken and said, According to what Plato has said, this is man. We've always tried to discover what, what man is. What is man? Well, we know from the Bible that man was created in the image of God. When he created man, he said man was good. And we saw that sin separated. So we need to take a close look at what sin is. And do we even acknowledge it in our life? Because the, the answer of a featherless biped really doesn't answer the question of, of uh, what man is by, by any sense of the imagination. But the scriptures will tell us this. And the question is important 
And it's really important because we need to understand our baseness, our, our very rottenness. We live, we live in a, a world that wants to make us feel good. You know, in the schools today, everybody's a winner, right? Everybody gets a participation trophy. There's no winners or losers. Sometimes in sports, especially in the younger grades, they don't even keep score anymore because they're, they're so afraid of things. And they want everybody to feel good. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us that we are sinners. And so, really to come to the understanding of God's plan for us, we need to take that and we really need to embrace that. I mean, we need to take that and say, this is what we are. We are sinners and we have fallen short of the glory of God. The thought of human beings are basically good uh, is a false thing. Humans are basically evil. Since sin entered into the world, our tendency and our nature is to do that which is wrong. You're watching the news, and, and I had a little clip that I saw from the Nicollet Mall, and I was raised up by this Nicollet Mall. And I watched as the, as the fervency of this started, where a couple people were started taking things and pushing things over, and all of a sudden it was just like crowds came out of everywhere, and they were all pushing and taking and grabbing and breaking and, and stealing, and, and the mob mentality took over. And people say, oh, how can they do that? It's their nature. It's our nature apart from Christ, and it's a nature even with Christ in us that we fight with Christ in us. That's why it says, he who is in you is greater than he who is of the world. There's a spiritual battle that goes on in our life. Do we naturally seek after God and his moral goodness? No. Do we tend to desire our own things on our own terms? Yes. That's our nature. That is who we are. So when you are dealing with somebody in the point of salvation and we're looking at sin, we need to understand that, that people are just trying to seek out what they want, what is best for them, doing things on their own terms, in their own ways. It's a rebellious spirit, and it's been since the Bible began. The rebel spirit... God has given us several layers of authority in our life and, and we're continually fighting those that are in authority over us. If it be a laborer over his employer, or children in the household, husbands and wives. We see the battle that goes on. I saw a little burp and it made so much sense. I mean, I mean this world is lost in common sense, but it said, you know, there's all these things about we need to retrain cops. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that there are some police that have done some horrendous things and wrong things. But instead of just retraining the police, where's the parents' responsibility to train their children in the way that they should go? You know, when I was young, I was, I was a, a rebel of a kid. But I would never have thought of striking a teacher I had a teacher one time walk me to the principal's office on my tiptoes by the back of my hair. He had me by the back of my hair. I was on my tiptoes all the way down to the principal's office. For something that I did, I deserved it. Now, I would never tell a teacher that's okay to take somebody by the hair and lift them up and do that. But I never would have thought about swatting at their hand. My grandma, when she'd get mad at me, she'd grab me by the ear. My grandma was about this tall and she'd bend me down. 
And she'd walk me where she'd want to go. And I never once thought about swatting at her hand and saying, let go of me, old lady. But you look at the world today, and it's full of sin. We naturally seek after our own desires, the things we want to do, and in the terms we want to do them. So this first message is a series provided on the overview of the human condition. And until you are ready to accept your human condition, what we are in the flesh, you're never going to be able to deal with that which God wants to deal with. Because if I think I'm good, then I don't need God. Or if I don't think I'm not that bad, then I don't need that much God. But the Bible says I need to have God fully engulf me. Otherwise, I'm going to lose the battle. And we, do lie, and we do lose those battles. So we want to define sin and its extent. And it's important when you're sitting with somebody or when you're evaluating yourself that you really define what sin is in the reality and the extent of it's got a hold of your life. Because before we can restore our relationship with God, we all want that. We pray for that, a stronger walk with God. We play one song in the morning here that I, I love it because it's a sort of the story of this man praying that he could draw closer to God and, and have more, more grace and faith. And it says, God sort of let him go down this path that wasn't real pleasant. See, God is going to do that. The refiner's fire. If I think I'm gold enough, then I don't need to go through a fire because I think I'm, I'm gold enough, I'm pure enough. But before we can restore a relationship with God, we need to understand that the relationship is broken and why it is broken. The relationship is broken not because of anything that God has done. We got to start there. It's not because of anything God has done. God hasn't said, I don't think you're a good person, so I'm breaking our relationship. It's nothing that God has done, but it's because what we have done. We have sinned. When we get into the scriptures here, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're the sinner. He's the holy God. He is the one that is right. He is the one that is righteous. He is the one that is pure. We have turned away from God's standards. We have turned away from what he has called us to do. We have wanted to walk our own path. That's the rebel spirit. I don't want to do what God requires. I want to do what I want to do. For men, especially, I'm going to fix this. I'm not going to let God do this. I'm in control, and we will not surrender. Pride is a big thing in sin. And when we look through that, that's really what the rebellious spirit is. Pride, I know better than God. Why does he tell the nation Israel, if my people who are called by their name will humble themselves, what do they need to humble themselves from? A prideful spirit. And why do they need to seek his face? Because they've turned each one to their own way and walked away from God. See, sin is a, a, is a key concept in Christianity. And it's one that churches don't preach on much anymore and that people don't like to talk about because it's, it's a dirty thing. Sin is not a fun thing to discuss or to look at. And it's this negative word that, that we like to shy away from. 
It's just like we like to talk about heaven. We like to talk about grace. We like to talk about mercy. But we don't like to talk about vengeance. We don't like to talk about wrath. We don't like to talk about judgment. But it's all part of God's character in who he is. We prefer to be positive. To think that people are basically good. And, and I understand that when we're in a conversation, we'll talk about people and sometimes they'll say, well, you know that person, they're basically good. Really what we're saying is they're nice. Because the Bible says there's none good. But God who is in Father. So if we understand that, really, that, that we can't look at ourselves and say, well, I'm a good person. I just gave a nice offering. I'm a good person. I just helped somebody out with this. I'm a good person. I do this, this, and this, so I'm a good person. No. You might be a nice person. But the Bible says that we're not good. Isaiah 59 here tells us this. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. you got to take ownership of that. we got to stop blaming others and start taking responsibility for ourselves. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. You. Me. People. That's our nature. That's who we are. And you can look at just about any fractured relationship, and it's because of those things. It's our iniquities. But we always want to blame somebody else. We always got the finger out. And unfortunately, many times we're blaming God. God, why did you allow this to happen? God, why are you doing this? God, why aren't you fixing this? God, why aren't you? Why aren't you God? Why aren't you God? Why aren't you God? And we forget the scriptures that tell us that it's our iniquities, our sins that have made a separation between us and God. When my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, repent of their ways, seek my face, then shall I hear them. Why don't we see God? Because our sins have hidden his face from us. Christianity claims that sin has a hold on everyone, and it does. Now we've had our sins paid for. If you are a born-again believer, you've had your sins paid for. Jesus has paid for those sins. But it doesn't mean that you are sinless and that you won't continue to sin. Too many people put an emphasis on, on some intellectual knowledge of God in what his word says, or that they maybe walked forward someday and, and, and said a prayer. And I'm not saying that that can't be true in a salvation experience, but what happened when you walked away from the altar? When you got up off your knees and from your prayer, did you begin to live for him? Did you begin to deny yourself? Did you lay it all on the altar? Have you humbled yourself to follow him? Have you given up your evil ways and your evil desires? It is sin that separates us from God. And black represents this sin. And hopefully wherever we go from now on when we see that, that black, we can think of that, that sin. Sin in my life. Sin in another person's life. What is it that separates the world from Christ? It's sin. 
when we're looking and watching the news and the events of the day, what is it that is causing all this chaos in the world? It is sin. It is sin. It is our nature. Now with Christ in us, he has given us a new nature, but we still fight that sin that is in us. And until we are ready to humble ourselves, until we are ready to loosen it and give it over to God, it's always going to be there and there's going to have that battle. So when we define this sin, we need to look at these things and say, well, what is sin? Sin involves any deviation from God's perfect standard of holiness. Okay, so, so holiness, we know what holiness is? Holiness is not something that's good. Holiness is, is, is perfection. So anything that involves any deviation from God's perfect holiness is sin. We've sort of been taught over the years, it's like a, an archer that shoots at a, a target and doesn't hit the bullseye and we say, well, he was off the mark. That's sin. Well, not really. Because some of us think because we hit the target even that we're doing okay. I sight my bow and I say, well, if I can get it like within this, I'm doing okay. God's holiness is pinpoint. So before we start feeling good about ourselves, we need to realize that we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. None righteous, not one. There's nothing redeeming in us apart from Christ. That's sin. Anytime you deviate from God's perfect standard of holiness, that's sin. When God has placed authorities over you and you're not handling them according to what Scripture says, that is sin. When you say unwholesome things out of your mouth, that is sin. We need to understand what sin is. It can be the result of our thoughts or our behavior or what we say. It can be a combination of all these things. But we need to see it for what it is. It's sin. And Christ emphasized the importance of not just being externally moral, but being internally moral. And that's where it really hits us the hardest. Rich young ruler can come up and what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? We'll do this, this, and this, and this. And, and people love checklists. Because they can go through and say, well, I've done this, I've done this. I've been faithful for this many years. I've done this for this many years. I've, I've given this for this many years. And, and we got the checklist and we think that we are reached it. But Jesus saw in that man something that maybe nobody else could see, but God could see it because God sees inside of us. He sees us internally and he says, go sell all you have and come follow me. Now some people have misrepresented that to say, well, that's all Christians should be, sell everything and just sort of be a communion. That's not what he was saying. He was saying there was something between him and God that wasn't being dealt with. And he needed to deal with that. God can tell us that in all sorts of things. In our rebellious spirit. It might be our money that becomes our God. It might be our work that becomes our God. It might be something else that becomes our God. All sorts of things can, can become our gods that we elevate and we put up on a, a pedestal. We say, this is my God. 
And we probably don't say that, but our actions show it. But he says, you got to deal with this internally. Ask the man, did you ever commit adultery? Oh, I've never committed adultery. He says, have you ever looked upon a woman with lust? That's the internal morality. Have you ever thought bad about somebody? I've never killed anybody. Have you ever wished somebody would die? Have you ever wished harm somebody upon somebody or just thought, man, the world would be a better place of this or that? I shared a story, I think, maybe with this church a long time ago when Osama bin Laden was assassinated by our, by our country. He was a terrorist. Killed millions and thousands, probably, of, of people. He caused war against U.S., took our lives of our people. And I remember the time approximately when he was um, taken out, when he was killed. And I have to say, when I heard it, I, I didn't really have any thoughts either way. You know, I, I guess I sort of thought, good, we got a terrorist gone. But that Sunday I come to church, and of course people were talking about it because it was a big deal back then. And I remember one of the, the men saying something about, if I would have been there, I would have pulled that trigger. And, and that just hit me. It hit me in a, in a wrong way. Because I thought, as, as evil as he was, here is somebody that died without Christ in their life. Should we be celebrating that? And then when you really look at yourself, and you may say, well, I haven't killed all those people. But I'll tell you, watching the news, how many of you wished harm upon the people that you see doing these terrible things in our country and in our land, or thought bad thoughts about them? That puts us in the same playing field. Christ emphasized the importance of being internally moral, not just externally moral. Our sinful behavior harms others. It harms us. But most importantly, it's an insult to a holy God. We are so quick to look at others and to judge others and to, to, to not follow and say, but well, I can do this because they do this. And that's where that mob mentality comes. That's why two start to loot and pretty soon you have hundreds. Well, they're doing it. We might as well get in on the action too. This is not God's way of taking all the fun out of life, by the way, confronting us with our sin. It's a way for us to really realize who we are. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's hope in this. God doesn't just leave us alone in our sin, but he says, deal with it. You need to realize something that you are worth dying for. But he's also saying this, guess what? Someone had to die because of your sin. That's how heavy sin is. And so we can't take it light and say, well, I'm not that bad of a sinner. I'm not that bad of a person. We are. We are. We were so bad that Jesus came, and if we were the only one that had walked the earth, he would have had to go to the cross for our sin. But I didn't sin as much as it doesn't make a difference. Sin is any deviation from God's perfect standard of holiness. If you tell a liar, you drop a bomb. Well, that doesn't seem fair. 
Sin is what it is. Any deviation from God's perfect holiness. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't come because he knew that we were going to change our ways and say, well, I can give my life because I know you're going to change your ways. No, while we were still sinners, it says Christ came and gave his life for us. And it was God's demonstration of his love for us. He saw the sin in our life. He knew that it needed to be dealt with. And he wanted to deal with it once and for all. And that's why he tells us to, to really to the some extent of the gravity of where we really view ourselves is the gravity of grace that, that we receive. See, some people don't feel really forgiven that much because they don't think they've really done that much wrong. They don't feel like they've fallen that short. But when you come to the point where you realize that you are nothing and that you deserve death, and that God needs to break you in every which way to get you where you need to be. And he pours his grace and his mercy and his love out on you. Then, then you've experienced that salvation. So when we see that black, we see it represents sin in our life. That needs to be the first thing that we deal with in our life. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. When you've dealt with your sin, when you've really got to that base and you've realized that I am a sinner, that I am lost, I'm drowning, I'm dead in my trespasses. We've talked about that, dead men walking. Those are the, Those that are destined to die in the prison system like on death row they're called dead men walking people consider them dead already that's what we are without Christ in our life we are dead people walking we're dead in our sins we're lost without hope there's nothing redeemable in us but God offers a way and it's this love, and it's the magnet that can turn the black into white, which is a color we're going to deal with in a couple more weeks. But the best thing for us is to, to really look at our sin and say, when God wants to deal with it, it's not to take the fun out of our life. It's not to constrain us. That's the, the big thing with young people a lot of times. You share the gospel with them, and it's like, well, you know, I want to I wanna go experience life. I want to you know, have all this fun and I want to do all these things first and then when I get all my fun done then I'll come see God like God is some boring thing to serve and he's not he's definitely not God has designed us to function the best in a relationship with him you think you're having living up the life right now you're not you haven't tasted the glories of this creation until you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you know him as your Savior personally and you are committed to living for him and living with him and following him. Religion isn't just something we read about and, and have here on the shelf for a, a, a first aid kit. Faith is something that we live 
day by day that consumes us day by day. We're designed to function best a certain way, living in harmony with God. What are you doing each and every day to live in harmony with God? The best thing is to live within the parameters that God has given us, which is his word. So as a result of sin, we reject God. And instead we put ourselves in his place. Anytime we reject authority, anytime we deviate from his holiness, anytime we get that rebel spirit, anytime we fail to yield ourselves, we begin to harbor sin in our life. And we are putting ourselves in God's place. And it also involves the willful disobedience. See, sin is the opposite of obedience. It's disobedience. It's disobedience to God. It's disobedience to his word. It's disobedience to his ways. It's disobedience to everything that he has for us. So when we look at what extent is, is sin in the world today, it's universal. It's everywhere. It's not just in the U.S. It's not just in our streets. It's worldwide. A whole world is fallen and sinful. Since back in Genesis, the whole world fell under the curse of sin. But we are also fallen and sinful individually. And so when we talk with people, we talk about black representing that sin. We understand that we're fallen apart from Christ. Ephesians 2.4 tells us because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even to which we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. We had a, a lady, Mrs. Wells, when I, before I got saved, and we'd come in from coon hunting or whatever, there early helping my friend with chores. And every now and then she'd sit down and, you know, if God was to come today, and this is a perfect question, if God was to come today, why would you tell him that you deserve to go to heaven? And the only right answer is we don't. I don't deserve to go to heaven. None of us deserves anything. We don't deserve that. By grace you have been saved. That is getting something we do not deserve. If you think you deserve something from God, it doesn't fall under his grace. It doesn't fall under his mercy. It falls under that human system that we have so conjured up in our mind. Paul explained, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Listen to that in Romans 3. That's the description of our human nature. Again, it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
What about Mother Teresa? No, the Bible doesn't have her name down there. Well, Billy Graham, he was great. Any believer, their only righteousness is in Christ Jesus. It's not in them of themselves and in their human nature. And until we stop fighting that, until we stop trying to do it ourselves, we're not going to experience that. And we're really leading a false life. See, this black that represents sin is, is something that we need to really understand. Maybe you're sitting here saying, well, you're making me feel sort of bad about myself. Good. Good. We need to feel that about ourselves. We need to understand that if we're not walking according to Christ, if we're not really in his perfect holiness, which usually we're not, then something needs to be done. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we share it with our friends. We understand and we share with them, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're sinners. The difference between me being a sinner and you being a sinner is I have Jesus Christ in my life. And Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. Oh, but you were always a, a good guy. You always did nice things for people. Well, yeah, not really. A lot of times we do things to get the handshake. We do the things to get the backpack bat packed. You know, oh, good job. Sometimes even unconsciously we're doing it sitting towards God saying, well, you know, when we get to heaven, God, did I not do all these things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. There's none righteous, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Now this book continues to unfold. So I don't want you just to, to leave saying, oh, there's no hope. What's the point? Because there is hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. He's the one that came and paid the price. He's the one where we find our forgiveness. But I want you to think this week about sin. About sin in your life. About sin that, that maybe has, has brought us to where we're at in our life, in the, the, in the complexities of, of this world we live in. You, you know, I look at the things going on in the world and, you know, you can look and see there's a lot of stupidity going on out there. And I'm trying to change my mind to saying there's a lot of sin that's going on out there. There's a lot of people that know better than to be doing what they're doing. But it's sin. And just because you're a Christian doesn't exempt you from sin in your life. Doesn't exempt you from making dumb decisions. Doesn't exempt you from being rebellious. Doesn't exempt you from following your own path instead of what God has. And that's why God calls us to go down our knees and to, to pray to him and to seek his face. Because none of this we can do. When it says no one understands, who has the mind to understand? 
It's only by God that we can understand his word. It's only by God that, that we can experience his grace and his mercy. It's only by God that we can really get a glimpse of who he is. It's only through Christ that we can find forgiveness of sins. It's only through God that we can really understand what righteousness is and, and holiness is. We can't do that of our own mind. It doesn't make sense. And that's why the philosophers do what they do. They talk in circles. There's no one that does good, not one. But in Christ Jesus, we can do it. We have that power. So even though black represents sin, Christ always gives an escape. He tells us in Corinthians this, so we'll just close with this. There's no temptation that has overtaken us, but that which is common to man. But when we are tempted, he provides a way out. They have these, these little game rooms, I'm told, I've never been to one, but you go in there and they're like a maze or they're mysteries and to get from one room to the next room. And, and it all is about you're able to decipher and to think it out and to, you know, to be smarter than the person before you. We can't be smarter than God. The Bible says there's one way, one way. That's why we're saved by grace, through faith. Not of works, lest anyone could boast. But the Bible says our boasting needs to be in the Lord. Think about sin this week. Think about the sin that separates you from a better relationship with Christ. Even if you're born again, are you seeking to grow in him? Are you seeking to know him more? Let's pray. Oh, okay. Okay. So we'll pray for Kathy uh, as we close here too. Um, Pat just went to take her medical emergency. She's on her way to the hospital. So we'll lift her up. Father, we just pray for Kathy at this very moment. Lord, we're unsure of what the, the situation is. Um, but Lord, you do. And we put our trust into you. Just be with Kathy at this time. Be with Pat also. Lord, give them safe travels, uh, going where they're going, to the hospital. Lord, be with the doctors there. We just ask that your hand be upon each one of them. And Lord, through this week, as, as we walk our walk too, Lord, we pray that these scriptures that have come into our lives this morning will challenge us. Lord, as we have talked about, our iniquities have made a separation between us and God. That it is our sins that have hidden his face from us. That all of us have fallen short due to our unrighteousness, due to the things in our life. Lord, may we see the reality that in the flesh there is none righteous. Not even one. Not even one. Father, to draw closer to you, Lord, we need to look upon your face. We need to look into your word. We need to make changes. 
Maybe we are like Israel in many ways. Maybe we do need to humble ourselves and seek your face. Get on our knees. Repent of our ways. Cast off every weight of sin that so easily ensnagles us. And follow you. So Lord, be with us. Be with us in our going this week as we think about sin, Lord. But may we also think about the solution, which is Jesus Christ. And we will get more into that in the coming weeks. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. And we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.